Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Sunranto Show is brought to you completely ad-free by all of our Patreon subscribers. Find out more about how you can support The Sunranto Show at patreon.com slash sunranto. Enjoy our conversation with Broadcaster Mick. Cubby blue blood flowing through our veins. Sitting in the bleachers in the rain. We've shed a million tears and drank as many old style beers out at the game. Let's go, Cubby Sunranto. Michael Cotton. Sunranto. Michael Cotton. Sunranto and the lovable Lucy. Boutros Golly. Sunranto. Michael. Welcome to the Sunranto Show. We have a very special guest on today. Uh, it's the voice of the Tennessee Smokies and the voice of uh, Spring Training Cubs Radio. Uh, it's Mick Gillespie. Uh, welcome to the Sunranto Show, Mick. Hey, it's great to be on with you guys and talking some baseball, even though we're not playing any right now. <laughs> well, um, that's kind of what we've been trying to do, or talking around baseball or the possibilities of baseball even happening. But we're also joined here, just so you know that they're here, Creepy Crawley's here in the house. What's going on? And, uh, of course, Michael Cotton. Hey, I'm back. So, uh, Mick, uh, no baseball. Uh, you were getting ready to gear up for another season of Tennessee Smokies baseball. So uh, what the heck are you doing with yourself right now? Yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, you know, it's it's been uh, you know mostly time spent in the apartment. I've watched a ton of Netflix shows and series, and, uh, you know, I've seen Tiger King and McMillions and <laughs> the entire Breaking Bad, which everyone told me was great, and it really was, and then every other show that goes along with Breaking Bad, you know, uh, Better Call Sal and El Camino and, you know, I just, old movies, you know, Indiana Jones and Back to the Future, anything I can watch, you know, watch some, try, not, try to watch a little bit of the news, but man, it's been you know, really slow, honestly, slow and boring. I, I you know, exercise and, um, you know, get out a little bit. But for the most part, it's just been hanging out here. So, Mick, you've been with the Cubs since 2007. Um, so you've been in uh, minor league baseball for a while. Uh, there's some negotiations going on right now between MLB and uh, MILB uh, as far as the minor leagues are concerned. What is your take on what you see so far? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm – you know, very familiar with because, um, you know, I've worked with uh, Boyd Sports and the Tennessee Smokies for a long time. And Boyd Sports operates not just the Smokies, owns that team, but uh, three of the teams in the Appalachian League, you know, rookie level, uh, Elizabethton, Johnson City, 
and Greenville. And all three of those teams are on the list of 42 that Major League Baseball plans on uh, getting rid of. Mm. So I, I've been there. It's the, the Johnson City team in particular does really well. There's a hu- huge fan base. People like to go out there. Great, great like craft beer area of the country. You know, it's it's um, you know, a small town, but it's growing and uh, the attendance is fantastic. It's it's just a shame, you know. And I hate it for a lot of reasons. I feel like shrinking the game, contracting teams, is not a good idea, uh, even at, at this level, because Major League Baseball really doesn't have a strong reach here compared to college football, you know, and having those teams gives a lot of these cities, it's their only professional team, uh, just that one area where they kind of have that connection to the major league, you know, baseball teams and also to the sport itself, you know, but we've seen that the sport is getting smaller. And, and, and I think to me personally, that's what I don't like the most, but, um, I get why Major League Baseball is upset. You know, a lot of these teams that they have on this list haven't taken the initiative with the city and the ownership to invest in the facilities, you know, so the players, um, you know, are playing in, in, in conditions that Major League Baseball teams don't feel like is better than what they can offer in their train, you know, spring training facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they were upset about, uh, some other stuff too, you know, maybe the amount of travel and, you know, and all, but at the end of the day, um, I don't think that, I I don't think minor league baseball has negotiated well with, uh, MLB. And I think all, all those teams are going to be gone if that's what major league baseball wants. Yeah. They, they contracted what, 40 teams, something like that, 42 teams or something like that. And, um, do you think that it's it should be kind of on major league baseball to provide some of these training facilities, considering that they are their players. Well, I mean, the, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why I think with major league baseball paying for the players, the coaches taking care of that aspect of it, the business model is pretty good for the minor league teams. If they're in a decent market and they have a facility that fans want to come to, you know, and and so there's a a lot of different pillars to this. You want to have a stadium and an environment where guys like us will show up, have a beer, watch the game, you know, and enjoy it and and it'd be fun. And the, the players aren't a commodity. So no one's showing up to see any of the players name sake wise. Now there's coming to see the players and I don't mean it like to disparage what they're trying to do, but, they don't have brand value at this point, you know, in the minor leagues. This is not like when Chris Bryant showed up to the Smokies a couple of years ago for a rehab game. It was a Monday, and the minute that it was announced that he was going to be there, you know, you're talking about from maybe 800 to 1,000 seats to a sellout. I mean, that quick. Because he's got value, you know, name value. He's, he's earned sure. that. He's worked hard for that. Well, um, none of the players at the minor league level have that. So the teams have to do a, a really good job of marketing the entertainment aspect of, you know, showing up and coming to the games, right? Well, there's a conception that the, that, that the teams in the minor leagues are making a big profit and, you know, and hoarding the money. I think 
some owners, probably minor uh, major league owners, think that. I know some of the players think that, but that's not the case. I mean, it's really there's really thin margins with with uh, minor league teams and and making money, but it can be done. And then, but the other part of it is owners of the minor league teams aren't making money off of the players. So some of them have decided that they're going to let the facilities that these guys practice in and, and the locker rooms and such uh, deteriorate without upgrading. Now the Smokies, they have a great relationship with Tom Ricketts. And I, I told Tom this, uh, you know, talking to him during the off season, I guess it all feels like off season now, but I, I spent an <laughs> hour. We're, in his office we're in calling November. it. The, we're calling this the post off season. On oh, this show. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's incredible. But I spent an hour in Tom Ricketts office and I said, if the other owners, we were talking about this, I said, if the other owners would have been, you know, active like you, you know, proactive and shown up and gotten to know the minor league operators. And Tom, for years, would just – he would come to Smokies games. He, and it's my, it, it's my understanding, too, that Tom and Theo, that was a big thing, that they were going to check out the facilities, and anyone that wasn't up to snuff, they were going to find somewhere that it was. Yeah, and, and I mean, that really started before Theo. And, and I, honestly, and I – got a lot of respect for Theo. I can't remember seeing Theo at Smoky Stadium, but I'll tell you what, I saw Tom Ricketts and I saw him there a lot because he was coming, you know, once or twice a year. And, uh, and, and part of him being there was, um, you know, saying, Hey, you know, I want to see what we got. And then I want our minor leaguers to have the best facilities that we can possibly have. Now, Theo's got people obviously uh, that are involved, but, um, but Tom Ricketts being involved is a big part of this. And, and the Smokies went out and spent $900,000 uh, uh, just to upgrade the player facilities. Now, that, ha- that does not happen a lot in the minor leagues. It's very rare. But I feel like Tom Ricketts' relationship with Randy Boyd, the owner of the Smokies, was one of the big reasons why. You know, And that included a brand-new locker room and you know, a, a just giant hitting center. And, and then that upgraded everything else they had, you know. So uh, if the, I think if other minor league teams at, at the end minor league baseball's office, if they would have pushed harder for some of these owners that are deadbeats, to be honest with you, uh, to, to work harder to make, to, to make sure that their partner, Major League Baseball, was happier, I don't know that we would be in this spot right now. Hmm. Hey, in a, in a slightly related question um so you're talking about the smokies but you said that the people that you work for that own the smokies um also own three other teams what are the other team affiliations because these are not all uh, in and this is more for you know the listeners who are listening not all cubs teams no 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 so they they don't own the team, but they own the right to operate the business of the teams. It's it's a operate an operation agreement, right? So you're talking Cardinals, Reds, and Twins. And me personally, I don't really have anything. Uh, and I've just worked. I do Cubs, Smokies, and you know, and the Cubs. But but I just know from being there and and working with those people, um, you know, including the the president of of the Smokies. Uh, what goes into to those teams. But, yeah, so basically what's different is that Major League Baseball owns those teams, those rookie league teams in the Appalachian League. And every league's different. But um, 
the 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 Boyds own the Smokies, you know, like the contract. Um, and so Major League Baseball will subcontract someone to come in and run the facility in the Appy League. But that's also why that they, you know, when they were targeting these teams to get rid of, they don't have to fight with anybody that if they're going to contract those teams, they just decide, you know, that they're going to do that. Um, with the the Southern League, you know, the one that the Smokies are in, they're going to get rid of Chattanooga and Jackson, and, and they're going to be dealing with lawsuits and fights, you know, because there's someone paid $14 million uh, to own the right to have a, a major league affiliate team in their stadium. And now all of a sudden it's getting yanked out. Now the contract is up, so – you know, we'll see what happens, but um, you know that it, it's it's a little bit complicated. But at the end of the day, Major League Baseball wants to have a smaller draft. They want to have less minor league teams. They want to pay the minor league players that they have more money, and they want to try to make the uh, the. They say they want to make the ballparks, you know, a better situation. You know, just structurally speaking. I don't know that I buy that because there's some teams that the major league teams own that are, you know, that are crap. And, but because the team big league team owns it, then they're going to ignore that, you know, whereas Chattanooga is a great market and, you know, they're not going to have a team. Hmm. Uh, but it's, it's it, look at the end of the day, 42 teams are going to be gone. There's going to be a smaller draft and there's going to be less people that are going to be thinking about baseball next year when we start playing again. That's a shame. Mick, uh, in 2017, you won the Minor League Broadcaster of the Year. Who were the influences that you had growing up as far as a broadcaster? And, and if you could maybe kind of talk about some of the Cubs broadcasters you have relationships with. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good question. You know, I grew up in Baltimore, and uh, Chuck Thompson was the voice of the Orioles. He's a Hall of Famer. And I listened to Chuck a lot. And then John Miller took over, uh, over for Chuck. And so John Miller, you know, great, great broadcaster. Chuck Thompson later in my life ended up being a mentor uh, to me before he passed away. And then I left Baltimore and I moved to New Jersey and they didn't have Oriole baseballs before iPhones and all that stuff. And I started watching, this was in the 80s, I started watching uh, the Cubs. That's when I became a Cubs fan, a huge Cubs fan uh, because of Harry Carey and Steve Stone, you know. So I, I, I was... Um, watching uh you know mark grace I, I i see mark grace at marquee you know because i do stuff with marquee and it's like every time i see him i'm like man i i can't even remember how many times i wanted to be mark grace you know <laughs> I, i'm a right-handed batter but i would try to bat left-handed you know play first base like uh sean dunston and rhino you know obviously i've become really good friends with rhino and uh andre dawson i remember those teams so harry and steve and you know funny they talk about like kind of transitioning into broadcasters. We play in the White Sox, one of my first spring trainings, and and Stoney's there, you know. And I'm like, you know, walk, like Stoney walks in. Len and I are like setting up to get ready for the game, and you know, he just comes in, and you know, we're all just you know bullcrapping. And like in my back of my mind, I'm like, I've heard this voice so many times, you know, and and there he is. So. um uh, Bob Brenly went to Arizona and Jim Deshays ends up, you know, joining the, the Cubs and he's in the booth with Len and I for a spring training game against the White Sox, just hanging out. And uh, the, the, the game, the White Sox have the game on WGN television, right? So 
I'm on the play-by-play, you know, and I didn't know this at the time, uh, but, you know, Len and I are doing the game, but I'm, I'm on the mic. J- JD and Len are kind of just talking in the back or whatever, and then all of a sudden, like, I guess Stoney's, like, talking about, like, oh, there's you know, Mick Gillespie, you know, and I, so I go back, and, and uh, someone sends me the clip, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> man, that's crazy, you know, like, just crazy, like, Steve Stone just said my name, on WGN, you know, you can so, hear him as a kid telling you, uh, all you youngsters out there for all you oh, youngsters out there. Man. Yeah. And <laughs> well, you know, he was an Oriole too. He was, he was a great, uh, Oriole pitcher, you know, a Cy Younger, you know, just, just amazing that they, he was on the Padres. I, I remember reading this in uh, Earl Weaver's book. And I, I think about this all the time, you know, like, and he wasn't having the success that Earl Weaver thought that he should have. And the reason why is that the Padres didn't have a very good infield. And the Orioles, you know, back in the 70s, they had a great infield. Mark Belandrid was their shortstop. Doug DeSensei was a third. You know, they had a great second. They, so they go, they go and get him, and all of a sudden, you know, like he's like, a, you know, he wins every game, you know. Um, and, and baseball is funny in, in that realm, you know. So so I, so I met Stoney, you know, and, and I've gotten to know him, and I think he's he's awesome, you know. But great relationship with, with Len, you know. I can't say enough awesome things about Len. I mean, he's, I, I consider him, uh, you know, a great friend. We, we, you know, we'll do the games and go out and, and have a drink and talk about stuff. And, um, you know, a- anytime I ever need anything, he's there. Um, he's the same guy like that. Y- you watch him on TV and you're like, man, this guy's cool. You know, he's cool, man. Like he's cool <laughs> off the air and he's genuinely a giving, caring person, you know, like, he, he's someone that we all try to strive to be, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the, 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 the person that Len is. And I wish I was, you know, but every time I'm around him, I'm always like, man, this guy is just, he's just really awesome. Um, Jim Deshays love JD. When, when Bob Brenly was there, man, I, you remember those, uh, those Dos Equis commercials, the most interesting man. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's BB to me, man. Like I, I, I did a show in um, in Knoxville that was like a Saturday baseball show. It was, I mean, it was a pure bite off of uh, Bruce Levine's show on the score. You know, like mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I told Bruce, I'm like, I want to do this, you know, because it's so fun listening to you do it. Um, and, inside and so the much, clubhouse. Yeah, yeah, you know. The on one, the I score, mean, yeah, 670 yeah, the score inside man, the clubhouse. Was, yeah. Every Saturday I would listen to it, you know. So I did my own, but I didn't go up against Tim, you know, because I figured, well, look, if once you're done with that one, just flip over the internet and, and listen here. And so I had Bob Brenly on, and it's like you know, anything that you are interested in, there's a tie there, you know, like he's got a tie to it. Like I, you talk about Harry Carey, and I'm like, you know, I want to be like Harry Carey in so many ways as a broadcaster. I want to be that guy that you, you three join in the bar and we just sit and watch the game. You know, like I feel like when I watch as a kid, like I'm just sitting in a bar with Harry and Steve and they're talking and it's funny and it's light. He knows the game, um, but it's it's just it's an easy listen. You know, like you, you try to do that. So I talked to tell you know tell him ask Bibi like what was it like you know, Hank working with Harry because he worked with him, um, you know, when he first started broadcasting and he's like, he's got a story, you know, he's like, Hey, if, if Harry, you know, is like, picks you to, you know, go out after the game, you go, you know, like, he's like, if, <laughs> you know, and he's got stories on that. And I'm like, you know, I'm a big grateful dead fan. And he's like, you know, I'm playing for the giants 
And da 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 da. Next thing I know, he's like back backstage with Jerry Garcia and the band, you know, right before their concert, you know, and he's got, you know, been through that, you know. So he's one of the, I mean, he was a, he was an all star player. Um, he was a World Series winning manager. Uh, he 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 had a son that played on one of the Smokies teams that was a great kid and uh, I thought a really good ball player. Um, he's he's one of the most interesting people that that I've ever been around as far as like Cubs broadcasters and people in, in general. You know, Cubs fans used to call him Salty Bob at a point because he was he was there through '07 uh, <laughs> and '08, and uh, you know things were going well for the Cubs then. And then as things kind of, you know, sort of uh, got depressed in Cubs land and the, and the team went south, you know, Bob doesn't pull any punches about what he sees. If he sees a lack of hustle, it really pisses him off. So it would, so I kind of, when, when Bob went to the Diamondbacks, I was really disappointed because I, th- I feel like Bob was one of those dudes that was just kind of telling it like we were feeling it as, as it went. He wasn't pulling punches, which I think is... I, I don't know the backstory of it, but it felt like that as a fan that they're like, okay, Bob, enough criticizing uh, Alfonso Soriano. Like, you got to get out of here. Go go make fun of the Diamondbacks. But I, I got to tell you, Mick, I really missed you and Len doing the radio games this spring. It got shut down early. And I got to ask, why did they not have it? I know they're launching Marquee and everything. It made me feel like it had something to do with that, and you're on that. Sometimes, but um, why didn't they do radio this year? Well, I think that's a big part of it. You know, like they, they're covering all those games on marquee. So when when a crazy crazy thing, like we we started that webcast, we had it for seven years, and it and it really got built into something because of you guys. You know, because you know you're 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 listening to the games, you're doing your you know you're doing your different blogs and podcasts and stuff and and you're like hey man we really like this you know like you guys made it happen you know you you texting and tweeting and and being a part of it because it was lens kind of had this vision like hey this is different than radio and it's different than tv because we can be really interactive with cubs fans and i gotta tell you like that's what made it so special so last year last game you know, we're going into the like the eighth or the ninth inning, and Len looks at me, and I'm like, you know, like, because he normally does like the way that we set it up is that Len does the first two innings, I do three, four, he does five, six, I do seven, he does eight, nine, and we get out, you know, and and if I'm there and Len's not, you know, I'll do them all, or if we have, if I have someone in and you know, and it's it's not Len, like it's like I'll do the bulk of the inning, same same you know structure most part, but he looks at me and he's like. And I, I could see the little twinkle in his eye, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And he looks at me, he's like, hey, you know, Mick, voice of spring training, boom. And he, and like, back to me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this, like, I knew when I was leaving that day, not because he, like, he did that or had the foresight to kind of just, like, give me that, like, walking, that shout out, you know, in case we never do it again. But I just knew with Marquee coming and stuff, and there was just this feeling when I left the booth that day, like, the webcast is probably done, you know, mm. but the good news is, is, uh, and I missed it too, you know, and I really, w- I really think that even with marquee, there's a need for the, the webcast. And I hope that maybe they go back to it, but I, I don't know, but the marquee comes, they're doing all the games and, you know, th- those guys have been, 
I mean, super fantastic too, man. Like they, they, you know, they put me on television, you know, like I'm supposed to do, let's tell you the story. I, the schedule that I got at the beginning of spring training was I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to do the two games that the Cubs are playing the Reds lens off. And then I was going to fill in for him again at the end of the month. Well, you know, fast forward to, you know, two days before I'm in the booth, you know, just kind of seeing what's going on on the truck. I just want to be ready. And I, I overprepared for it because I just didn't want anything to get messed up. And so I was there for a week, you know, like just, just, just being there, which normally for TV, you don't, but I just didn't want anything to go wrong because look, this is a dream opportunity. You know I mean? Like I've worked really hard for it. And so um, the, the, we're, we're going to fly out on Friday. Thursday, I'm just supposed to sit in the booth between Len and JD. I'm going to put the headsets on, you know, and, and, and just kind of listen to the producers and stuff. I, stuff I don't really need to do, but I was just going to do it because I just wanted to be extra prepared, right? Well, I look at JD, and I, I, he's got this giant Yeti in his hand before they do, they're doing their stand-ups to get the game started. And I'm like – Hey, what do you got? Some bourbon in there? And that he's, he's, you know, he's a hilarious guy. And normally if you, you set him up like that, he's got something funny to say. And he looks at me and he's like, no, it's tea. I'm like, this guy's sick. I could tell he was sick. I got, I didn't just not, I did not stay in that booth. Like I was supposed to, I went home, you know, I went back to the hotel I was at because I didn't want to get sick because I knew that that weekend was coming and it was going to be my, you know, my debut on Cubs TV. And I mean, look, I grew up as a Harry Carey super fan, you know, so this was like, I'm going to be for a day, I'm going to be Harry Carey, you know, or two days anyway. And, uh, but, but by the next day, JD's sick, he's out, he's not doing it. So, um, it ended up being Len, um, they didn't want to have two people, which was really smart, you know, do these games on television that hadn't done it, you know, so it was going to be JD and me. So it ended up being Lynn, uh, me, and, and Cole, uh, Cole Wright, who's mm-hmm. on Marquee. And I got to tell you, it was so much fun, man. It was so much fun. They, they had, we, had, um, we had a great time. They, they scheduled three more games, you know, two more games to fill in for the ones that, you know, that, that we were all three on instead of just, uh, just me. And was, so I was going to end up with five games on TV, which I thought was awesome. So yeah. come back, everything goes great, and then, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you. And then, and then, you know, we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm doing radio against the White Sox that Friday Cubs TV against the Indians on Saturday. I got a season ticket holder event that Sunday. And by Friday, because of the coronavirus and, you know, early May, I'm our March. Anyway, I'm flying back home. And it was over. Oh, yeah. And I was going to, I was going to tell you, Mick, you know, as a Cub fan, I, I tend to kind of lean towards the underdog. And for years, I was waiting you, for you to take the guest, the attendance crown from Len <laughs> Casper. And, and now I feel like that's been taken from me. I never got to see your World Series moment of finally, <laughs> finally slaying those demons and defeating Len Casper in the, uh, guess the attendance game. What makes him so good at that? <laughs> He's competitive. And, and for being the, the one of the <laughs> nicest people you'll ever meet, like like he's nice to a fault, you know. But when, when 
I'm, you know how when, when we're on together, you know, like we just have this kind of like we'll needle each other in a in a nice way, you know, and it's 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 super. I love it. Like I love it when Len gets under my skin just a touch because I'll get off the air sometimes and laugh about stuff he says because he's he is really funny. And that attendance game was was always like I was going to beat him and rub it in, you know, because, you know, I love doing that. And I just never got the chance. Like, just beat me every day. <laughs> we were so all rooting. I don't know. You, you, know, you I, were like the Ron Santo of that group of attendance games. Yeah, trying to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Ron, no, Ron Santo never won the attendance game against Pat Hughes. Like, it was, it was ridiculous how bad he was at that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, like, I, I – well, the the best part about it is this. Look, Len Len put a pretty good whooping on me. I got I think I had like a streak of four or five straight games, and I could tell coming into that like I had gotten within like two games of Len, and I could tell that day like he was not going to lose. Like <laughs> he was like Jordan in the you know the ESPN thing. Like I, he was I, literally I counting people from the booth. Right? <laughs> like, like I could tell, like, because I would, what he would do is he wait, he would wait for me to go on the air, and then I would like notice, like, he'd be really quiet, right? Because I would say stuff, and then I, he wouldn't say anything back, and I'm like, what is he? And then I realized, like, he is like looking out the window, and he's like, uh, he's already like a super smart, observant guy. And Take another like, inning, Mick. Like, Hold on, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still counting. Oh, uh, he beat me that one, and then after that, like, I, the. You know, the wheels fell off. But the best part was the days where Len was on TV and I would have someone else come in and be a guest with me, I never lost. So it was like, <laughs> I thought maybe, like, I'm really bad at this. But I realized that, no, I mean, like, Len's just that good. You're like, makes- what What would Len guess is, is what you had to ask yourself. <laughs> I would try to, out, like, think it sometimes. Like, I'd be like, well, he went, he went heavy yesterday. And then I'd go heavy and lose because of that. And then I would say, you know what? I'm going to go light today. You know, I lose because of that. Like, I don't know. There, the, when I got, I, I had that streak, like I said, of like four or five in a row. To beat him, I literally had to get within like 30 or 40 on that number. Wow. Unreal. <laughs> wow. Mick, that's, when you started. That's like prices Right. Like <laughs> the whole the whole shebang. You win everything. What the Mick, when you started, Mick, the uh, the farm system the Cubs had wasn't much to speak of, but then obviously, clearly, things changed, and you got to see some pretty special talent coming through. You saw Bryant, Baez, Hendricks, Schwarber, just fantastic players. Did they? I mean, right away, were you able to notice that they were different than other prospects you've seen? Yeah, well, a couple things. You know, Jim Hendry. When he was uh, general manager, I, I thought he was one of the best people I was ever around in, in sports. I mean, I just think he's a really great guy. And um, and I felt sorry for him because when the Tribune owned the team before Tom Ricketts bought it, like, it was honestly, it was run like uh, like a third-rate used car dealership, you know? Like, <laughs> like this, I mean, like, it, it was it was so ridiculous, like. I went to see Jim. Jim would come to the stadium, and so everyone knew him. You know, he, he, he was really hands-on. And so, you know, once or twice a year, he shows up. You know, he's going to take you out to, you know, to dinner and talk about that. He wants to know everything that's going on. You know, like he, he knows about your family and stuff. He's just a really good dude. And, and so I get to know him. 
And he's like, hey, when you come to Wrigley, I'm going to give you some tickets. I want you to come in and, uh, you know, come and hang out with me in my office, you know, and, and you know, and shoot the crap. So I'm like, all right, of course I'm going to do that, you know. So, so I go to Wrigley and I, I get there and I'm like, I see like his office, Crane Kenny's office. They're like, these are like broom closets. <laughs> they're like, in, they're like in, in Wrigley. You know, like in the stadium itself, you like, and like, there's like no window in there. And it's like, there's so much stuff and not enough place to put it all, you know, um, I, 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 you know, I'll talk to to Crane about it sometimes, like just how crazy it was. Like they would, they would literally like have to like load up their weights and take the weights to spring training and then bring them back. Like who does that? You know, like a major league team, you know? And one of the things that I kept hearing about at the time was that when the Cubs would go into the draft, now, that, now you know, they won the division and were a playoff team in, in uh, 07 and 08, you know, so they weren't drafting in the, you know, in the first round a lot, you know, like um, they, they, you know, they were, they were kind of back there a little bit, but um, that they would, they, when they would have like a pick, like the Tribune would be like, hey, um, you know, if that guy has this agent or if he costs this much money, you guys need to take somebody else. And so the oh. scouts are like, man, we, you know, we want to take like Matt Weeders was one of the guys I think they wanted to take. Like, like they knew like, hey, this guy's going to be a perennial big leaguer. Instead, they had to take like Josh Vitters, you know, and, and, and that's there's a there's that over the course of time. It kills you. It absolutely mm-hmm. kills you because. You, you, you've got to be able to develop your own players. There's only so many free agents and trades that, that you're going to have. But, you know, three, Theo came in. And, and let me say this, too, going back to that. We had good teams before Theo and, and, and those guys took over. Um, DJ LeMayu was on our team. And, I mean, I, I thought, man, this guy's great. And he is great, you know. Um, we, we had um, – you know, Starlin Castro and and um, a, a lot, Brian Flaherty, you know, not the superstars besides LeMayu. And I don't even think he's a superstar. I think he's a really good player. Um, we didn't have the superstars that the Cubs had, you know, after Tom Ricketts bought the team uh, until Tom bought the team because the, the it was really tough for them in the draft to go and pay the money. You know, like, can you imagine being having the second pick and, and the owners like, hey, look, I know this Chris Bryant guy's pretty good, but we're going to take somebody that's a little <laughs> cheaper, you know, that doesn't have Scott Boris as an agent. You know, like w- once Tom Ricketts bought the team, the checkbook was open and you could do you, you, whatever it took to win. That's what he wanted to do, you know, so. Uh, going, getting into the talent, you know, like and the only reason I'm saying that is because the the depth of talent that the Cubs had in their farm system was was decent before you know Theo took over. It was decent, like the depth, you know, like there were a lot of like like players that would contribute, you know, like like there were some pitchers that would get to the big leagues, you know, or like some role players, you know, but. But what really blew me away and the biggest compliment that I could give to Theo, which is why I think he's one of the greatest, maybe the greatest executive of all time, is that when he sees the, the, the mega talent, he goes after it like Jaws going after a swimmer in those movies. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's relentless, man. Like, so when, um, 
you know, they, they bring in Javi Baez. I, Tim Wilkin was one of the Cub Scouts, and Tim, Tim and I are, are good friends. And he told me at the time, he's like, hey, you know what? I think, I think we're going to take this one kid, and if we get him, you're going to love him. And I'm like, okay, and he's telling me about him. I don't think he told me the, the, his name, but he's just telling me about, like, we just so happened to be in Jacksonville, and he was there scouting Javi Baez, right? And he's just like, loves the guy, you know, Cubs take take him. You know, I see Javi Baez, you know, when he comes to the Smokies. And, I mean, like, I'm like, this guy to me is like Reggie Jackson, like, not because you can't not watch what he's doing. His strikeouts are exciting. The home runs are <laughs> exciting. When the game's on the line, Javi Baez is as good of a player as, as there is. I don't care if it's in the – he's better than Reggie in the field, to be honest with so you. So that's something um, you could see. Like he just had that sparkle on him even uh, when he came through Tennessee. Like you're like, this is – this guy's going to be – he's going to be on the cover of MLB The Show someday. Yes. Like you knew. I knew, and I, there were. I think there were some skeptics with even within the Cubs organization because because here here's why. If if you don't watch Javi every day, you it's tough for you to pick up the base running, the routes that he takes on just like a just like a pop up down the line somehow. He's playing shortstop, and he just gets down the line and makes this basket catch to take a hit away from somebody or stealing out, you know. We had a no-hitter. We had, a, we had this soft-tossing lefty throwing a no-hitter one time. And he threw it because Javi made two of those, like, incredible catches in the ninth inning. Like, it was, like, like unbelievable, right? Like, I, I'm like – and the one was, like, a line drive up the middle. Like, I don't even know where he came from because he shouldn't have been playing there <laughs> with – the, the guy at the plate, you know, a, a right-hander, he should have been in the hole more. I mean, by the time he caught the ball, it was a line drive, a soft line drive in the center field. He's, like, behind the base, like, 15 steps out. Like, it's almost like he has this prevision of where the ball is going to be. And you guys know now because you, you've seen him, you know. Like, he, someone I, – I remember someone hit him on purpose in a game. And he hit a home run off of that guy and then, like, stared at him the whole time around the bases, like, the next time up. Like, we, that's what we want to do. Like, when you're on the playground and so you don't like somebody, like, you want to show them up. Like, but it just doesn't happen that often, you know. Um, I But then the, the bad games, you know, with the strikeouts, and you know, made, made some mistakes, maybe being a little overaggressive. And I think people weren't really sure what to take of that. Uh, at first, you know, but I, I, I don't know to me, I played a lot of baseball and I just, he was always someone that was like at the top of my list. Uh, Chris Bryant, you know, was is so on, on the exact contrast of that. It's like, and, and I mean like the, the, he's so consistent, you know, like being from Baltimore, like I'm, I'm looking at Chris Bryant and I'm like, this guy's Cal Ripken. He, and it, I, talk, I, was, I saw Mike Bryant when I was in Vegas, and he was like, you were the first one to say that. And he goes, you said that. And he goes, man, I've always thought of that since then, and I still do. It's because he's, he's a big guy who plays who could play shortstop but plays third, could play outfield. Um, and, and it almost to me sometimes looks like he's out of position because he's so big. But he yeah. handles the job well. You, get, you know exactly what you're going to get from KB day in and day out. 
he is a tender-hearted guy towards the fans, and Javi is too. I, I got to say that about Javi too. Like for for being like these these star players, like the, the amount of autographs that I saw those guys sign, and um, Chris was so easy to deal with. And by, honestly, Javi too. Javi was just so quiet, you know. Like, if, and you wouldn't think that, but he, he was a really quiet guy, and I think he still is. Like on the field, he he. He he shows all this personality, you know. But I, I see him now; like it's the same dude, like just laid back guy. Uh, KB, um, oh, just day in and day out was the most consistent player that I ever saw. Uh, Kyle Schwarber before the knee injury, and I think he's starting to finally get like the the Schwarbs thing back. But I'm on the radio when Schwarber was on our team. And they were going to, the only reason that he wasn't in the big leagues sooner was because they wanted him to be a catcher, you know, and he was going to do the catching thing. But the problem was that the Cubs and and Joe Madden, really, I I put this on Joe because he wanted him in the big leagues. They weren't patient enough to let him develop to be a pitch, uh, a catcher. And he had some work to do, but I don't necessarily think that he wouldn't have done it. I think that he, there's a chance that he could have been a catcher. Um, and if you ask him, I'm sure he'd say, yeah, I could have done it. I mean, it, it was just going to take some time, you know. He's got really hard hands, you know, like it, it, he doesn't have a, a soft. Like when you watch Wilson Contreras catch, and it was Contreras and uh, Schwarber were our catchers that year, by the way. Now think about that for a, for a minor league team. And, and Contreras won the bat. Yeah, we title. were actually hoping for that at the major league level at one point. Yeah. So, right, that, that duo, right? And um, But when you watch um, – you watch Contreras catch the ball. It's like it's just like there's just something about it. It's like he's catching an egg or something. Like he's just got real soft hands. And, and Schwarbs was developing that, um, but he had his great arm and he's he's a smart guy, you know. And then, but I, I'm on the air and I'm like watching him hit every day, and I'm like this guy would be like one of the top ten left-handed hitters in the big leagues right now. And he goes to the big leagues and he was, you know. So uh, it was hard to keep him out, to keep his bat out. But the Cubs, I think they gave up some development there uh, because, you know, you want to win. And, but that's what you're in this for, you know. So, um, but he was a great talent. Sam Zielinski, the scout that, you know, was, was involved in, um, in signing Schwarbs, was adamant about this guy and what he brings to the table. Not just the, the, the bat, um, but also the leadership the person, you know, and, and I, I got to give, you know, Theo and, and the scouting department for the Cubs a ton of credit because they pay a lot of attention to that too. And they haven't missed with these first round picks, you know, um, you know going back to, you know, before the, uh, you know, before Theo got there, like the Hayden Simpson pick, I mean, like the, you just can't miss with the first rounders. You know, you, if, if you get the first round pick right and the rest of the draft wrong, if you get the first round pick really, really right, you, you can get away with that, mm-hmm. you know, like, but you got to, you can't mess up the first round pick. And it's like I, every one of them so far I've been impressed with, you know, um, with with you know Chris Bryan and Kyle Schwarber, even 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 Ian Happ and and Albert Elmore, I mean they're in the big leagues, and I don't think their careers are over yet. You know, they, they've struggled, but it's Major League Baseball. You know, you're gonna struggle. You you go through that. Um, but those guys showed up, and it was the same thing. The 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 players who are going to star at the major league level, and this is what I learned 
going back to Theo and his ability to to go after the you know the mega talent, the Jorge Soler's, is that they they make the game look easy, and I had never really seen that until you know Javi and and then the line you know um, mm-hmm. of these guys, the core guys. Um, so and that and that's honestly that's why the Cubs won the World Series. They don't win it without this his ability to go after these you know these these amateurs and 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 predict that they're going to be great players speaking of that where were you on november 2nd 2016 man you know i was at the smokies at a work a staff work retreat and so i'd gone up for game three and four and five so i was up there for all those games and um my buddy wayne randazzo was going to go to the game seven and so i'd gone to game three with him and then hung out with him and uh, out when the Cubs won game five, you know, out on the street, and which was still, I, I think, still maybe one of the top five highlights of my life, you know, like when the Cubs had finally won a World Series game at Wrigley. So. And so we're all out there. And Wayne's like, hey, I'm going to, to the, you know, the game in Cleveland. I'm like, hey, you know what? I should go too. But the when you do these, like, work retreats for the – well, for me anyway, for the Smokies, since I'm not, I don't work full time for them. You know, like I'm just kind of like an independent contractor. They, they extend an invite for me to go. And so like they have bedding and food and they give you like work shirt, you know, not work shirts, but like, you know, like gear and swag. And it's really, really fun. Like they, they, they were like, would have frowned heavily on the fact if I that if, you know if I would have broke out to go to Game Seven. You know? So, <laughs> well, well, so uh, hold on though, really? <laughs> yeah, it's well, game it's the World Series. It's the Cubs. I know, I know, I know. Like my children didn't go to school. I know. <laughs> hey, listen, I still can't believe. Look, when they gave me a World Series ring, man, I just was like, I can't even believe this. Like, oh, that's awesome. You know, like this is just. I, I, you know, like and people are like, hey, don't wear this thing. Like, I'm like, I, you talk about, there were a lot of us that were very undeserving. <laughs> we, we were very appreciative, though, you know. I don't know. And, I uh, think every single Cubs fan should have gotten one for how what we went through as a fan oh, base. We all deserved dude. rigs. I know we could have bought yeah. them ourselves, but <laughs> not on a podcaster salary. Right. Yeah. Well, 2003 was the worst uh, sports experience that I've ever had. I mean, that just, you know, like the whole thing, you know, like all those years of, you know, like became a Cubs fan and I like watched them like get rid of Greg Maddox, like, which was Ugh. awful. I knew it at the time. And I'm like, what is going on here? You know, like I'd watched, I would watch the Cubs like every day they were on, you know, like I, I'd hook school to watch the Cubs. I'd get off the bus and run to get there, you know, to, to, yeah, to be there. You said you grew up in Baltimore, right? Yeah, and this is when I yeah, but I lived in New Jersey at the time when I became like because we didn't have the Orioles and so but they had WGN and I'm like I'm not a Yankee I'm not a Matt you know and that, then, that's like, really early for those day games if you're on the East Coast yeah right right no it's late you're skipping like half of your school no it's late it's an no, hour no, later yeah so so it was oh late, it's like, later oh yeah my so bad. like I'm yeah, I'm, like, um, I'm ridiculous I'm on I'm in Mountain Time and I don't know yeah. my time zones. No, I mean, like, I would, like, seriously, like, get off the bus and hustle. And there were a couple of Maddox starts where I, like, hit under the bed and, and you know, and just had to stay home and watch it. And um, 
And then you go through all that, you know, like I thought that, you know, and I thought that, um, what was it? Don Baylor was going to win, you know, like mm-hmm. I love Jim Riggleman. I, I met Jim Riggleman. He's a great guy, by the way. But I mean, all these like, sweet Lou, know, like, sweet Lou in 07, yeah. 08. You thought that maybe they could get it done with that team too, especially yes. 08. Yeah. But I mean, but the, but the, the that whole, the Bartman game and all that stuff. I mean, that was just like, and I don't, I'm not saying that it's because of Bartman. I'm just saying that whole experience, like I was ready for that to happen. And then like, I didn't even want to watch baseball for a long time. Like, you know, just devastated. And then, but mm. then, you know, flash forward, you know, you know, 2016, I mean, you know, get to get to be a part of it, you know, and it's still something that like, I'll never forget, you know, I mean, like forever. You, you know, Mick, it's funny because uh, Danny and I actually went to an event with Len Casper out in Club 400, which we'd hope you'd one day kind of come visit if you're in the area. Uh, but Club 400's uh, a charitable organization, Cubs fans helping Cubs fans. Yeah, we're sending, Mick, we're sending Mick beer, Club 400 beer. I already talked to Stuart about it. Perfect. For, for, so Mick's, uh, yeah, for Mick's beer tastings, yeah. But uh, what we ended up, you know, Len was talking about 2003, and you got to remember, Len was on the Marlins side at that time. Yeah. Uh, he's broadcasting for the Marlins, and, you know, he asked, boy, you know, didn't it make it that much sweeter when it did happen in 2016? But I was in all the, I was at all the playoff games in 2003, including the Bartman game and game seven when Wood hits the home run off Redmond and the places. And I got to tell you, like you said, that was a dagger in my heart. Like, I, I still think that that was one of the best teams I ever saw. And I think yeah. that. They should have won the World Series. I just, to this day, I'm still just, that one, you know, I say that the World Series has cured it, but that one was the one that really kind of shook me to my core as a Cub fan. That's when I started really believing in the curse, you know, because I, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I'm looking at that Marlins team and I'm like, you know, we're, we're better than these guys. Like, we are just better than these guys right now, you know? And it's like everything just, the way that everything fell apart, man, I, I don't know. That's Cub. Yeah, (laughs) I I totally agree with you. That is the time that I started believing in the curse, too, because the Barbin thing happened. I was in my living room in Iowa with some friends, and we just lost our minds. Like, every one of us, just that one little tiny thing happened, and we were like, we felt that. Yeah, I've that been, far away it was weird. Yeah. And then after that, did it not seem like every time the Cubs hit a ball, it hung in the air, and every yeah. time the Marlins hit a ball, it dropped for a single? It was like it. it I, I I remember like watching that, and and it being like just excruciating. Like I I want to turn the TV off because I the mo- I can just feel the momentum mm. is just gone. You know, like and these guys have it now, and we don't. And it's like it's like in, it's just happening in slow motion you know like it's like a car wreck you know like you're just like man i, I can't get out of the way of this uh, yeah and, and just one event after another after another like it's like in football you get to that point and you can call a timeout it was like the cubs just didn't have a timeout to use you know like what could they have done i don't know yeah but man i, I you, you hate to like feel like you want to cry after a game but the that that game six was that that was the worst sporting experience in my life. I think. Well, you go through was, these you go through these things you go through these periods and it it it, crease, it increases your fandom in a way. 
as because you've suffered with the team. And so it's all that much sweeter, I guess, in 2016. Yeah. It, it's the sunken cost. <laughs> you're like yeah. the sunken cost fallacy. They say you're supposed to fucking bail out after that. But, uh, you know, you're like, I've been doing this for 20 years. There's no way I'm stopping now. Man, I got this. My, I, I brought my wife to Vegas with me for the uh, the games. I was the, my first marquee games in. I got this jacket. It's the the blue Cubs jacket back in the like the eighties. Like it's the starter jacket. You mm-hmm. know, like when they first sure. came out. There's like one. There's a picture of Ronald Reagan um, throwing sure. out a first pitch, wearing that jacket. You know, and I still have it. I cut like eleven lawns to make that. That it was a hundred and seven dollars. I did lawns for ten dollars a piece. I cut like that was a lot of lawns for me. It's eleven lawns. Day, you know? Plus, plus tax. And I don't even know. How it, yeah, and that's over the course of months. Like it wasn't like sure. a week. You know, so you're talking about as a as a like a you know middle school kid, and I and but it fits her, and it's still in great shape. Like because I love that jacket so much. Like I took so much pride. Like I wore that. You know, I had my Cubs hat. You know, like my 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 uh, Grace jersey that I used to wear back in the day. But I was like, I just want for my own like fandom. I want you to wear this to the game in Vegas. And I want to take a picture of that jacket, you know, cause it means a lot to me. And, um, and we did, you know, because if she wasn't the war, the jacket, she wasn't going to get to come to Vegas. So <laughs> she, wear the jacket. But she said that she was getting like a lot of compliments from people. And I was like, yeah, because it's that jacket is still cool. It was, it was cool from the day that I bought it until now. Right. But I think it also goes back to like what it is like what I, I didn't grow up in Chicago, you know, so I didn't grow up being a Cubs fan. It just happened because I was somewhere and I that that was the team that I would watch on television. And I just fell in love with everything about the Cubs, you know, so I start getting Cubs gear, you know, like I've got like from back in middle school, I got like Cubs lamps and Cubs this and that, you know, T-shirts and shirt, all the stuff, you know, like because I just got so into the Cubs. And um, it's like having that that jacket and going to school. It was crazy, like how many other Cubs fans would just pop up, you know? Like you, you just like it was like <laughs> I had just gotten into this really cool fraternity, you know? Because like Cubs fans are just different, man. They're just different, like because we love our team through thick and thin. You know, we're not front runners. You know, it's like it, you, you just you you run into someone and you're like, hey. Um, you know, that game was terrible. Like, I, I remember, like, I didn't even want to talk about baseball. And, and when that was happening, I was still playing baseball, you know? And, like, I, I'm like, I, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to talk about it because I, it was so painful. But other Cubs fans would <laughs> be like, this kind of, like, even that, to even talk about it. But just to go, like, have a beer or whatever with someone back then. Well, I think because, that, that you know what I'm saying, like yeah, just well, Mick, I, I think we hear that in your voice. Uh, you know what what you're striving to do is being like a fan, like Harry Carey was a fan, living and dying with the team. We're all feeling his emotions and you know feeling what it's like to be at that game. I get that from you when you're calling a game and that you care about this team. Because one of my questions is like, could you do this for another team? Equally as well, like let's say you're with uh, an A's affiliate yeah. or something. Yeah, American. You, you may have to at some point. I mean, that's kind of how the broadcasting business works, right? We don't usually get to talk to broadcasters who are fans of the team that they're 
broadcasting for. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the organization too. Um, you know, I'm definitely a mark for the Cubs. I mean, look, you know, grew up a fan, and then, um, and you know, and I think Tom Ricketts is the best owner in baseball. I mean, I just do. I I just know him. I know his family. I I just think they're great people that are dedicated and and really will do anything for anyone. Well, I mean, make sure you me. don't listen to the rest of our shows then. <laughs> yeah. well, but I mean, you, you guys have a different experience than I do. You know, sure, like, sure. I, I have the experience of like, hey, I. I send him an email and I'm going to be in Chicago and the guy like stays around in his office for an extra hour to talk. Well, it, yeah, you know, it makes like, a huge difference when you have a personal relationship yeah. with a person sure. more so, you know, like it, it, you're able to see, you know, these people as more like their, their human counterparts where we get to see sort of the caricatures of right. who they are. Well, and I mean, like, you know, some of that's the media, you know, it's, it's, it's tough being Chicago. It's tough being the Cubs. Like I, I look at the White Sox and it's like, it's so double standard, you know, like, <laughs> like anything you do when you're a Cub is like magnified. And I guess that's part of it. Like being like this, this, you know, super brand, you know, but um, he, he's a great guy. And, and, you know, and honestly, like I, 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 I like Crane Kenny. I, I like I don't know Theo well, but I, I think he's a, you know I know the people that work for him. The the Jason McClouds of the world, they're great guys. You know the scouting department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the players. I mean, uh, I, I I am a mark, but you know my agent. You know my friends are like, hey, I, I've been really close to being there full time. You know, or like being a part of the, you know, of the everyday big league thing. And it hasn't happened. And there's a, there's a, you talk about politics. There's a, there's a you know, political aspect of all this too. Sure. And then so far it really hasn't, you know, bounced my way, you know, but hopefully it will, hopefully eventually like having talent will, you know, will, will get me to where I want to be. But people say to me all the time, like, Hey, you know, you, you got to um, branch out from the Cubs, you know, and it's, and, and on one hand, it's like, yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, I'm not. I wouldn't turn a job down from any other team. And look, if I went to the Reds or I went to, you know, I don't know, like the, the A's Cardinals. The, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> see, see, you're doing that to me. But I mean, whatever. Like, you, you would you would go wherever you get an opportunity, and, sure. and you would you would love to. To, to be in the big leagues every hey, day. So hey, I'm not Harry, any Harry's, Harry was down there for a while, so you'd be yeah, right. you'd be following a good path. <laughs> right, but he, he saw the light by the end of this uh, his time. Now, now he look. It, but it's major leagues. You're going to go there and and do your best sure. and, and fall in love with with all of them. I mean, it's just a coincidence, honestly, that um you know that a team that I've kind of had a passion for is a, is a team that I that I work for. But I, I also think that and you you guys know you've listened. Like I, I think I'm fair. You know, I don't think like people listen and think like, okay, I'm such a fan that I can't get on here and be like still a reporter and be professional and objective, sure. you know? Yeah, but you're not, you're field- not, you're more Pat Hughes than Santo for sure. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not, Santo, I don't even know homer. if he, he qualified as a broadcaster. He was just, a, he was like my, my favorite uncle sitting there complaining about the team. I loved it. I loved him. And I, I didn't even think about uh, Ronnie when we were talking about like, Hey, who, who are some of the broadcasters? One of the best stories that I have of, of my baseball life, 2010, the Smokies have this amazing team. They end up, uh, it was the year after Rhino was the manager 
and and he had just instilled this like win mentality with the teams that he managed because he wanted to win so bad. I mean, like I, I say, like Rhino, and I tell Rhino this, like he like he wanted to, he would chew his arm off to get a win, and he would, no doubt about it. He wanted to win more than anyone I've ever been around, and I'm sure that's why he's a Hall of Famer. And um, the next year. He moved on to AAA Iowa, and we had Bill Dancy, who's another incredible baseball guy, slides in. Team ends up 33 games over 500, and we lose the championship series. Just some mm-hmm. fluke stuff. We didn't win it. So two days later, I'm in Wrigley, and one of the first people I see is Ronnie, right? And, you know, like, I mean, just I don't even know how he even remembered me, you know, because I'm not there a lot, right? But Furt gives me a hug, like wants to know about the team, wants to know about the players. Next, to, and I tell him, he's like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm not doing good, man. I'm, I'm I'm just broken because I thought for sure this was the best team I've ever been around every day, personality wise, playing wise, like just it, they were just, they just should have won, right? But they didn't, and so. He puts his arm around me, takes me into the, the dugout. We were on the field before a game, and uh, I'm in the dugout, and he's like, um, you know, because I went to school at Alabama, he's like, hey, you know, you've got to know Billy Williams, right? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, Billy Williams is a huge Alabama fan. So then he, like, yells over, like, only like he can do, you know, hey, Billy. And Billy! Him over. Billy! Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody's looking. And the next thing I know, it's like the three of us are like in there just talking, you know, like, like, and ever since then, like Billy's been just a great friend. Every time I see him, like we, we talk about football and all kinds of stuff. Just think that like Ron Santa, like started one of my favorite relationships that I have in sports, you know, and, and you talk about him being on the air. Like everything he did is exactly what we tell people not to do. <laughs> That's exactly what you like don't want to do. But he did it and it worked. And I loved him. I loved listening to him on the radio. I, I told him this too. Like I, I would watch the games, but I couldn't listen to the games. Even though I'm a I'm a more of a radio guy, I'd say like as far as just me personally, I like listening to the games probably more than watching them because I can do other stuff. You know, yeah, I'm with and you. I would watch. Yeah, and I would watch Harry and and Steve, and Harry would just start t- telling Santo stories like on the TV, right? So my whole like image of him was from the WGN camera, like being in like Harry's telling a story or Stoney is, and the next thing you know, like they've like got a shot of like Santo, like in the you know do in the radio booth, you know doing whatever, you know, like well, it reminds me of this time, you know, and then, <laughs> they're talking about that my. My grandmother, she's got diabetes, and I just remember her being like, you know, you know, Ron Santo has diabetes, you know, and I didn't really know much about diabetes at the time, but I knew who he was from watching the Cubs, you know. I was like, God, oh, yeah, it's... and so you know, it, it's it was just cool. It's been it's been great. Like I've interviewed um, his wife on you know the Cubs games, and sure, she does a lot uh, of charity it, work. I know still. Oh, man, I don't know she's if she's still doing it so hard. Yeah, is, is that charity still going? It's for is it JDRF or JDRF? Yeah, it's still going. And the and the dogs. Didn't, yes, 
Yep. The dogs? Yeah, they, no, yeah. They, have, they have these special dogs that are trained for people that have diabetes. Oh, and, okay. I yeah. Now now I remember. Okay, I, yeah. I remember from the commercials and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that but that's that's kind of where that came came out of. But he was he's I think I I I'm so glad he got in the Hall of Fame. I wish he would have got in uh, while he was still alive. One and of the I think biggest, the biggest tragedies guys oh, out there. Yeah, it was it was brutal to that it happened after he he died because and, nobody wanted it or deserved it more just from a personal level than he did. But wow. I will tell I will tell you that a lot of people kind of said I'm not going to the Hall of Fame ceremony, but my dad and I did, and we did it out of respect for Ronnie and his family. Uh, you know, Vicky, Jeff, Ron Jr., those guys. I mean, they're they're terrific people, and uh, you know, to go there in Cooperstown and see him get and see his plaque and 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 realize that he did, you know, he wasn't here to enjoy it, and that's really the shame. But he's a Hall of Famer, and that can't be taken away, you know. Yeah, well, Billy uh, was talking to me about it, like kind of going into the the veterans committee, and he was on the committee, and um, you know, he he was he said, "Well, I never really talked about Ronnie's uh, on field stuff because everybody saw that." He said, "You know, but I talked a lot about how he was off, you know, off the field and all the great things that he did for people, and he deserved to be in a long time ago. I'm just glad he got in. I think it's really cool that you were there too. That's neat." Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. My dad and I, we were there for the jersey retirement. We were there when he got his statue. And, that, and then the third thing was the Hall of Fame. So we called it our trilogy. That's awesome. So we're, I know we're running kind of long here. We told you a half hour. It's already at, a, at an hour. But I I do have uh, some questions from uh, our Facebook group, which is the, the Sun Ranto Ranters. And um, – uh, th- th- these are usually inappropriate, but they, they actually did it. They, they, they actually did a good job this time. Um, so, uh, what what do you think about uh, the salaries? I, I know you mentioned it earlier that they're they're planning on raising the salaries. Still not necessarily a livable wage that they're offered, but uh, what do you think about what MLB MILB is doing or Major League Baseball is doing to raise the salaries? This comes from, com- comes from Kevin Cook. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of the contraction, too, you know, because they're going to have less players and they're going to pay the ones that they got there um, more money. You know, I I don't know. I'm kind of torn on the whole thing. I mean, like, I feel like minor league baseball is and I'm part of it, too. You know, like even my job, I feel like it's kind of like an internship, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're doing it to try to get to the major league level. But I see how hard these guys work and um you know, I appreciate the struggle, man. Like, I, I hope that they do get more money. I wish that it wasn't at the expense of other people getting a chance, though, you know, like mm-hmm. smaller drafts and less players in the organization. But, um, you know, I'm glad that, that they're going to make more money because I, I do know what a struggle it is. And, and, I, and I know how hard you know, these guys go out there and, and, and play. But, I mean, like, it's, it's crazy. We're, like, I don't know. It's like there seems like there's this giant pot of money and not much of it gets to the minor leagues for some reason. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, and, and fans are complaining about it now too. be just, just for a, the sake of equity between it all, because, you know, obviously you go from what, uh, $5,000 to $500,000 pretty much overnight. Um, I know a lot of these guys gets bo- get bonuses and stuff like that, but it does seem like, to, even from a fan standpoint, and I, I'm just curious about your thoughts about this, but 
doesn't it seem that it would make sense to invest in your minor leagues in order to have a better major league system? I mean, they thought of that in terms of like the Dominican academies that they built. I don't know if you've seen that. The Cubs have a state of the art uh, oh, yeah. facility for to um, develop players from down there. But I, I'm just wondering, like, do you ever, you know, you're getting off the bus, you've been driving eight hours, you're going from, you know, you, you know, you're you're driving to Birmingham or whatever it is, and uh, you know, it's it took forever and the flat tire and whatever, and you're like you know what, these guys need to be treated a little bit better just so that it's a higher level of play for them yeah. to develop. Do you ever have that thought? I mean, I mean, look, I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm a pretty old school guy, you know, like, and I've been doing this for a while. You know, when I first got in, the my, my very first minor league manager was Russ Nixon, who was like, Third base coach for the Big Red Machine, managed the Braves and the Reds. And the uh, um, I think he got impeached, right? Oh wait, wrong Nixon. Wrong Nixon. <laughs> wrong yeah, Nixon. this is this is the baseball Nixon. Yeah, you, he, he you, were, you were in the seventies with uh, yeah. with yeah. Richard Nixon's brother. That's what it was. <laughs> so well, Russ Russ did get impeached from two manager jobs, one with uh, <laughs> the Reds and one with the Braves. He was the, like the manager right before. Um, Bobby Cox took over in for Atlanta, the next you know, so. three decades or something. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this guy had been in baseball forever and like, you know, he just taught me like the, the right way to do everything like, and was adamant about like, you know, whether it was getting on the bus, dressing the questions, the way you ask questions, understanding like what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, even taught me great bourbon because he was from Cincinnati right there by Kentucky. I've been a Blanton's drinker ever since, you know, this is a long time ago. He's telling me, he's like, Hey, you know, when I, 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 I've been doing this job a long time and it used to be like, I was the manager, the pitching coach, the hitting coach. I threw all the BP every day. You know, I was the trainer if someone got hurt. And then, like, you know, and, and he's basically saying, you know, now we got a pitching coach, a hitting coach, and a trainer, right? So this is like, you know, the early 2000s. Well, you know, fast forward to now, and Theo comes in, and Tom Ricketts buys the team, and they're, they're going to invest in these players. And maybe the salaries aren't great, but, I mean, you talk about, like, just having it made compared to the way that it was not too long ago. Mm -hmm. They've got their own personal chef that, like, does all their food for them. You know, we, we used to be crammed on one bus for these, like, long trips. Two buses for the, the, the longer trips. So everybody has, like, uh, enough room, you know. Like, they um, – you know they they have the, they have their own equipment guy. You know the, the trainer guy. They got they got a video guy that's just there like shooting their videos every day. That some teams have more than one hitting coach. The Cubs have and and it's not like that for all the teams in minor league baseball. But the Cubs do everything possible to make their you know their situation better. And and what's weird is like the more they do, the more complaining I hear. I, I don't understand that. I mean, <laughs> look, look, I, I and I love the guys, you know. And it's not every guy, you know. But you, you like you give me David Bodie. It's like the guy that's like give, and he wants a uniform and that's it. Just give me a uniform, a bat, and a ball. I'm gonna go out there and like we're gonna we're gonna have some fun playing this game, you know. You hear some of the guys. It's like. You know, why don't we get this? Why don't we get that? It's like, man, you know, 
you get a lot. Like you got a brand new clubhouse. You got this and that. You know, like the, I, I just feel like it's it's like if if they're more focused on getting to the big leagues, when you get there, it's it's like the streets are paved with gold. You know. So I mean, I'm 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 sympathetic. You know. I mean, I, I get it. Like you got some of these guys have families and and all that, but. Being in the minor leagues is supposed to be kind of like a short stint to get to the big leagues, and then all of a sudden, now your value is the fact that your name brings value. You know, like like Javi Baez shows up to a supermarket and he can, you know, for a hundred dollars a piece sign autographs. You know, because people are going to show up to see him. I mean, he plays in a baseball game. Like you want to go watch it. Like Javi Baez could just go play in a minor league game where no one knows anyone else. Or the same thing with Chris Bryant, and they're going to sell. You know, people, the market's going to take care of itself because you're going to show up. You want to see these guys, you know, because they're a, a commodity. So I don't know. I think there's a balance there. Do you but. think it has anything to do with like, you know, the Instagram, Snapchat age, uh, or the, you know, the TikToks of just kind of wanting <laughs> to be maybe famous before you've done anything real? Like there's some sort of like. I don't know. They they're kind of getting ahead of themselves, these young guys, because they know that the fame is right there for them. I, yeah, well, I think that part of it is when I, I grew up, you know, not I, I want to say poor. I was poor. You know, I had to work really hard to 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 get where I'm at. You know, like just just basic stuff. You know, like when you have the heat on or have you know get a get a Christmas gift. You know, like mm-hmm. like the 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 life that I have now is way different. You know, and I feel like when I first got into baseball, there were a lot more players who had that in common with me than now, you know, and I'm not saying that I've never looked at someone that had it like, you know, that had a, uh, you know, a good childhood and, you know, that they were privileged is a bad thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, envious of that. Just, just, that's just not what I knew, you know, so I've, I've had to work hard and, and I guess part of that is the appreciation of, man, I get to work in baseball every day. Like, I've never lost that, like, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm showing up to a baseball stadium today, and someone is paying me. I'm doing something right. <laughs> I'm ahead of the game, you know? Baseball. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot to do with, you know, the whole transition for, you know, kids. The kids that make it are the kids that were on travel teams and, right. that's you know, point. doing all this stuff. So, Private so lessons. I, I don't think maybe – I think maybe you're hitting on something there a little bit that, the people who had more of your background aren't making it anymore because they hey, couldn't listen, afford to be on those teams. The, the the guys from Venezuela have more in common with my childhood than most of the players from America. Hmm. And I never hear those guys complaining about anything. You hmm. know, you talk to the guys from the Dominican that, you know, were like kind of like me, probably worse, you know, like worse off because it's really bad in some spots. They're not worried about that. They're they're focused on just being a baseball player, doing the things that they have to do. And I'm generalizing right now, but I, I this is what I've noticed, you know. And sure. it's like it's like um, when I see these articles that some of these former minor leaguers are writing, and it's like just like a a bitch fest. I, I just shake my head. I'm like, man, it, we're we're in, it's made, we're we're in baseball, <laughs> and you weren't good enough to make it, and I might not be good enough to make it. And if that's the fact, if that at the end of the day is the way that it is, then that's just the way that it is, you know. Because you know, you hope that the cream rises to the top. But taking away all of these opportunities by by shrinking the amount of players and teams that we have in the minor leagues, to me, just seems 
as bad of an idea as juicing the baseball and acting like you don't know it's juice. It just seems like a bad idea to me. <laughs> you, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So I, I guess that's where I sit on that. But I, 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 at the you know at the same time, and I mean I, I get it. Like there's a lot of there. It costs a lot of money to be doing this. And the way that they kind of put set lists together and stuff like that that are just different. And I think that it kind of. You know, at, at the end, like I said, obviously, if you listen to the 70s dead, like 77 or the early 80s or whatever, you pick a year, you know, it, it's the band had a lot of energy. But later on in the 90s, you kind of felt like, I don't know, sometimes they kind of kind of felt like the, you know, I feel like it's kind of like a revived energy. Now, I saw him at Wrigley. I've seen him at Alpine Valley. I'm 15 minutes from Alpine Valley right now. Nice. Um, so it's it's been fun to kind of see him listening. Like I said, put together some set lists that are that were just different than what I heard, you know. I'm yeah. I'm, well, ba- I, I I'm back. I'm back. By the way, see him in person. Oh, you back? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. My my computer has given up the ghost ever since I updated my operating system. <laughs> so that's it. Just ejects everything all at once and uh, makes uh, psychedelia happen. So I get at least that's cool. Well, you know? Daddy, it, it worked out because we changed it from a Cubs podcast to, to a Grateful, Grateful Dead podcast. I know. I heard that happen, <laughs> like in, in right in the middle of the show. Um, so, but maybe that's our, uh, cue anyway, to just kind of wrap up here. I do have, uh, one more question though, for yeah. you, for you, Mick, uh, and it, it also comes from the Sun Ranto Ranchers page and they want to know kind of, you know, who are your top three prospects coming out of double a last year, who should be in, uh, maybe one sleeper. Um, and let me preface it by saying we're all expecting pitching up here at the major league level. Because they promised us that they drafted well recently and there's pitching that's coming. Who do we get? Yeah, I hope that, that the pitching's coming because there's some guys that I would figure can, can, you know, could get up there and contribute. Uh, Tyson Miller would probably be at the top of the list. Sure. He just looks like a pitcher. You know, he throws a lot of strikes. Like he, he sets batters up. Uh, he struggled with the juice ball in AAA, but in the Southern League, you know, he was – he was really, really good. Kind of Kyle Hendricks esque, you know, like where he just throws strikes and and pitch really fast games and get outs, you know, pitch to contact outs, and um, you know, like I, I was talking to him at, at Cubs convention, and he was telling me like, you know, just about the difference in the ball, and he's like, you know, like balls that should be flyouts or home runs, you know, and it's and so that, and it's a whole different game, you know, when you're up there dealing with that. But I, I think Tyson Miller. Um, Corey Abbott is another pitcher who I was surprised that he wasn't, I didn't see him at spring training and I, I don't know why I, 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 because I didn't ever see him to talk to him, but he, he's a change up away from, I think being kind of a Randy Wells type of, of pitcher. And I, and I, I gotta be honest, I always liked Randy Wells. I thought his changeup was the best changeup, one of the best changeups I ever saw, um, and so I, I kind of likened him to Randy Wells, like, except it's not, he doesn't have a great changeup. I mean, it's, it's, it's not because of the changeup, but he just reminded me of him, you know, like where I could see him being like someone who could come in and, and contribute, you know, like a, a decent fourth or fifth starter and, and surprise you. Um, and maybe even more, you know, but he's got some work to do, but I think he's, um, you know, a, a very good pitcher. And, um, you know, those two guys are probably at the, at the top of my list. Um, you know, just kind of off, off the cuff here. I'm trying to think of who else might be. But I'm talking to Zach Efros tomorrow on the show that I met you on this last week, the rant. 
So he was, he, yeah. he's another one that I, I think that people were looking at, especially we want him because his name is F Ross and our manager's name is Ross. And we're just going to have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. You know, I, I, there, there's a bunch of, of, of pitchers who have to make that next jump, but if they do, there's, there's, it's not like there's a bunch of, you know, big league bullpen guys right now holding them back. Right. You know, it's not like you're playing third base and you got Chris Bryant ahead of you. You know, it's like you go up there and, and throw strikes and, and, um, you know, and, and hit those locations and, you know, and all that stuff. And there's, there's definitely an opportunity there for you. Um, you know, I, I want to see what Adbert Alzali does. He wasn't with us last year, but if, he, you know, the, the, the injury thing's really killing him. But I mean, every time I look at, at what, his potential is it's just frustrating because you know like now this guy could be you know a solid three solid three maybe even a two and and he's got the kind of stuff that could make him you know one of the aces on the staff but but he but he can't stay healthy you could you see him moving to the bullpen possibly yeah i could i could because they've got to figure out a way to get some use out of him you know and so yeah i could see that um I could see that. And then everyone saw Nico. You know, really last year was all about Nico. When Nico was there. That was, was cool, like, huh? Just watch, <laughs> watching him every day, you know, like he's just so consistent. He's he's consistent, not not in the Chris Bryant type of way where it's like he's a, you know, MVP type guy. But he's he just gives you, you know, the same thing every day. You know, he could definitely be an all-star. You know what, Mick, when I see him, it's like the moment never seems too big for him. No, no, no. And I, I, I kind of had that feeling when uh, when he got called up. I, I went on the score and was like, you know, hey, look, this guy's going to be the same player in any game. He's, you know, I said he's like he's like Ryan Sandberg, where, where it's like you just – he reminds me of Rhino because of his shoulders, his build. You know, they're kind of both like smooth robots, like, you know, just, just to me. And then um, – you know, like, but you just, you just sign, you put him in the lineup every day. Like Nico's a, Hey, look, if Nico's playing second and batting, you know, batting second or something, you know, like he, he's just in the lineup every day. I'm not saying he's a hall of famer or anything. I'm just saying like, he's, you know, he's just like, you know, with Rhino, you remember, I mean, Rhino's in there every day. Like he just knew Rhino yeah. was going to be at second, you know, and he was going to be batting, you know, second or third, you know, like that's just what we're, that's how life is. You know, Nico's I, one I really, players. I really think we need a T-shirt that just says "Smooth Robot." Yeah, yeah, and has those two guys on there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mick. I know, Mickey, that you work for Marquee, and you're a big Sandberg fan. Did you have a chance to see the new Sandberg game documentary that debuted last night? No, 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 no. We did one. Funny thing is, we did our own like years ago with the Smokies. So we had um, we had Bobby Dernier. And we had Jody Davis that were working with the Cubs at the time, and they were both in that in that game. And then we have Rhino as manager. And so we, between that and the highlights, like I've seen that game a million times. You know, I've talked to Rhino about him a lot. You know, like like just it, it's crazy how technology's changed so much because back then you only had like three games. You know, right. I mean, like I'm sorry, no, 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 you had three channels. Right, three go all the way back. You had three channels, you know. So the game on Saturday was like that was like the game that everybody was watching, you know. And then Rhino picks that game to just just go nuts, like and and 
But and and uh, you know, Dernier talks like listening to Dernier talk about it. Jody Davis and I have become really good friends, and um, and all those guys have so much respect for for Rhino. The uh, the 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 Cubs are doing something new uh, for season ticket holders. They have uh, an exclusive Facebook group, and so they debuted it on Facebook that way yesterday. So it was a really good documentary. It was really well done. Cubs Productions have just been going nuts on that. So it's going to be out Monday at 7. If you got an opportunity, I think you'd enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. I know that, like, with the whole coronavirus and stuff, like, it, it, we, I'm, they're not even close to being where they would, would want to be, you know, because sure. you don't have the games and all that. But those guys, when, everything I've seen them put out has been quality. I mean, the Ernie Banks one was great. It's like you're just captivated by it. But then again, like, we love the Cubs so much, like, you just would watch it, <laughs> <then>, you know? <laughs> yeah. Crawley has it on his in his house twenty four seven. The TV does not shut off. That that's it. It's just marquee all day, all the time. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait until like life gets back to normal and we have games on. Be like we just all. like the little the little taste of spring training on marquee. Like I would get to the stadium early to to you know watch the games or whatever. And I a couple times I'm like the first one in the press box. I turn the sound up. I'm watching like and it was like the same stuff like over and over again, you know, because they really didn't have a lot going on back then. And then, you know, rain outs and all that. And and I so, some of the things I saw like two or three times and I still thought it was great, you know? Yeah, you know, and and it's like you said, we're Cub fans, so it's just it's just pure Cubs content. And so when 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 it does get with more games and things going on, I really can't wait to see you know how it's going to turn out. I think they've done a great job so far. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I me. hope you'll be a huge part of it too, because uh, you know you, you've you've got uh, the familiarity with the Cubs fans. You, you know we're already fans of you, and uh, hopefully they'll keep having you on. And you know they've they've already hired about like fifty people to do the games. It seems they, you know, I mean they have um, they they poached uh, Doug Glanville and. From NBC Sports, that they have a whole new crew. They got Sambury, a lot of ex-players. Um, so hopefully, you'll be a part of it too in the future. Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but you know, maybe maybe when Len's off, I can fill in. I know this one thing I want to do. Like if if that day happens, and hopefully it will, I want to go to the bleachers and like buy a round of drinks for everybody. No, well, I'll be there and I will drink your drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, so, that's a lot of drinks, man. Yeah. No, but maybe I, like a, a first, uh, I don't know like what the, yeah, I don't know what my money's going to be. Yeah. Like, but, <laughs> it's 10 bucks ahead. Another just for the Danny Rocket coach. crew and the left field bleachers. I, I can just game. tell you, Mick, that if you do make it out to a game, we'll be there and we will definitely show you a, uh, a, a real good, good time. time in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Well, the only thing I got to do is I got to call dibs on Danny's couch. That's it. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I'm down for that. But I'm saying, like, you know, if I'm there to work and do a game, then we got to have, like, some kind of quick, like, you know, we got to have, like, a toast. Oh, hell yeah. No doubt. Well, uh, you know, I I guess we should probably end it there. We've we've been going out an an hour. I really appreciate all your time, Mick. And And I've been wanting to do this for forever. If you look back in our tweet DMs, I think we've been planning to do this for a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, down. anytime, man. Anytime. It's been fun and, you know, like I just love talking baseball, especially right yeah. now when it's just so depressing sitting here with no games, you know? Yeah. Well, I well, mean, you, you seem to have a lot of enthusiasm for it. And it's actually, uh, you know, in, in these times when we don't get to talk about it, like talking to you today, 
uh, and hearing your stories has has been really nice. So I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. And you know, Mick, Mick, I mentioned this before. You know, we were before we went on air. Is that I I never had been to spring training before, and I actually my first spring training game was in Florida. Boston Red Sox versus the Cubs. They played because they're going to open up in Miami. And I was talking to Mick, and I said, "Hey, can I just get a quick picture?" And like Mick went out of his way to really kind of make it happen. So it was really awesome that he was able to do that. So not only that, I find out you're a deadhead. So now you're even like a like higher up on my pedestal, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you should have told me that that day because I mean I don't know if I would have ever gotten back to the booth. I could sit around and talk about the dead just as much as the Cubs. So it was good to meet you. And, and I'm telling you, man, like this has been a lot of fun. And like I said, if, if you guys uh, ever want me back on, just let me know. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do it sometime. I'm sure we'll have lots of questions as the the season hopefully starts for the minor leagues. Like we we're not we didn't really talk about that because we don't know anything about what's going to happen. But we certainly hope something's going to happen with the minors. And we hope it, you know, we hope that uh I don't know. There's baseball this year besides in Taiwan because those are games are fun, but <laughs> I don't really understand um, Chinese. So <laughs> it gets a little difficult. So, well, thanks for coming on, Mick. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. And um, I guess until then, uh, we on this show, we don't say go Cubs. We say it backwards. We say Spagog. <laughs> Spagog. Spagog. All right, guys. Spagog. season is new gonna score lots of runs off you the Cubs Wrigley's gonna Sun. Cubs will win the World Series, so don't make October plans. The Cubs putting runs on the board. Come and see the team. Ricketts can't afford the Chicago, the Cubs. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.